welcome. This is the What If I Told You podcast, a show that really just wants to stop wearing bras, grow our hair long, and play in fairy rings. It sounds better and better by the day. Yeah. I mean, my hair is getting pretty long. Yours is getting pretty long. Yeah. It's about the length that I usually decide that I want to cut it. Yeah, I'm trying to stay strong. My my, this is the longest my hair has, I've let it grow, in a long time. Yeah, it's boob length. Yeah, I don't know. Mine's in a ponytail right now, but. I mean, I, my hair grows so fast that cutting it short almost doesn't even feel like a commitment. <laughs> I just, I can't stand the, the length where it like gets collarbone. And then if you're wearing like anything other than a regular t-shirt or a hoodie, it like gathers like in your cleavage. Mm. I can't like if you're wearing like a V-neck or something and like you move around and your hair like gets stuck in this part, uh, drives me fucking crazy. I don't think that's literally ever happened to me. Oh, it happens to me every time. That's, that's wild. Cannot stand it. Huh. I lit, I absolutely do not remember a time that's yeah, ever maybe it maybe you just don't notice it maybe you know i hate it hey it's got to either be above the shoulder or like to the nip those are my preferred oh. lengths i don't think i have a preferred length i like my hair short whenever i can just like pull it back at the base of my neck and the ponytail is like an inch long love that <laughs> Like it whenever it's mid length. Like it when it's long. Yeah. You have great hair, so. Thanks, mom and dad. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Maddie's mom and dad. <laughs> you blessed her with great hair. I do come from a family of people with really good hair. Luckily. Yeah, that's good. That's a good quality to have. Yeah. The drawback to that is I'm hairy just head to toe yeah you know when you have thick hair the gods aren't like you know what we're just gonna let your head hair be thick and your eyebrows be nice we're gonna make the rest of you smooth yeah to meet the beauty standards that are placed on you nope they're like fuck it Mm -hmm. we want your leg hair to grow i mean inches in one week (laughs) (laughs) but you know I'm getting laser hair removal. I've been getting it for like a year now. Not on my legs, unfortunately. That would be a lot of work. Yeah, and I'm so bad at appointments. Like, the I was supposed to have a laser appointment on Friday, and I moved it. Because it just... There were a lot of things happening in the evening Friday that just all came up. And I was like, I do not want to deal with driving all the way downtown Yeah, right now. So I moved it to this week, but that specific appointment I've rescheduled four times because <laughs> things just come up yeah. and it doesn't fit in and you can't like schedule it for the next day because that's not how it works. It's never available. So. Right. But, you oh, know, well. you did it. You subconsciously do that for a reason. Maybe you are going to get in an accident on the way there. Maybe, you so, know, just thank yourself. Thanks, self. Yeah. <laughs> um, please check out our TikTok and our Instagram. 
email us at what if I told you podcasts at gmail.com if you want to chat or if you have any episode topic requests we'll definitely throw those on the list mm-hmm. we do have an announcement to make but first we want to shout out the podcast of the month with the deluxe edition network We've joined a little network, and it's basically just a whole bunch of podcasts that kind of support each other and shout each other out on their episodes. So if you like movies, uh, check out Barrel Aged Flicks. Yeah. They seem like really fun people. Yeah. They're funny. So. And I like movies, you know. I like listening to people talk about movies. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, like a ton about movies though I'm not a movie aficionado so yeah so if you're into that check them out I bet you'd like it for sure um the most important thing is that we have officially launched merch yeah we have officially uh it is really top-notch shit to be honest it really is you know i am proud of us and i'm really trying to not clutter up our little website but it's it's cool shit and i feel like our prices are pretty fair yeah so we will of course put those links where they need to go but if you're not following us on instagram you're not going to get it so well, I mean, we can always put the link in the show notes as well. Yeah. So I think they just fair. need to follow us on Instagram. Well, I mean, that goes without saying. Mm-hmm. And, you know, follow us on Instagram. What else are you doing with your day? Nothing. Yeah. So. You'll be missing out on all the cool shit. Yeah. Listen, there's a coffee mug. There's a tote bag. There's a t-shirt. There's hoodie. An iPhone. iPhone cases. There's beanies. Duh. Yeah. So. So get get your merch um maybe in a few weeks we'll do a little giveaway yeah we'll give some shit away yeah we'll do that shit um and if you buy merch then you should take a picture of yourself with it and tag us on instagram or tiktok or whatever yes so ashley and jenny if you are listening when you get your merch please take a picture yeah our first two orders thanks ashley and jenny yeah adorbs Super adorbs. Um, now, we're not really eating any meals today because it's, like, fucking 5.30. Dakota's currently cooking dinner because he's the best. But um, I discovered yesterday that the cheesy double beef burrito has made a comeback at Taco Bell. Now, how long it's going to be available, no one knows. Yeah, probably not long. Which... I will never understand because uh, what's in a cheesy double beef? Nacho cheese, beef, and rice. You have nacho cheese, beef, and rice at all times. All times. It's not like they took it off the menu because they didn't want to carry the ingredients to make it. You always had the ingredients. I think they just do it to play with us. They're really fucking with me right now. Yeah. Because the last time they brought the cheesy double beef back, it was like two weeks or something. Yeah. I did probably eat like 14 of them. 
in that two weeks. <laughs> yeah. But I was really excited when I saw the sign. And I have I saw the sign yesterday, as in Saturday. Today is Sunday. Um, I haven't had a chance to go and get one. I might get one tomorrow. Do it. That's how you should have meal prepped. You should have just gone and got five of them. <laughs> I'm going to eat cheesy double beefs. All week. <laughs> uh, something else exciting happened last week. We got our first negative written review. And <laughs> quite honestly, it made our day. I can't tell you how hard I laughed when yeah. I saw it. If you guys aren't listening on Apple Pods and can't scroll down to see it, this is what it says. <laughs> it says awful made a huge mistake taking a friend's recommendation on this podcast <laughs> <laughs> i love that the subject line of that is just awful yeah one star awful. one star great great um you know whatever yeah i it would have been nice if they had like actual criticism like I can't stand these voices or, you know, whatever else they don't, I don't like all the tangents. Yeah. Then like, fuck it. Fine. I, you know, whatever. We're not, we're not going to change anything. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing we can do about our voices if that's the problem, but you know, and if that's it, I hate my voice too, dude. You know, I don't want to listen to my own self. No. But does anyone, no. let's be honest, no. the answer is no, but you know, it would have been nice if you're out there and you're going to leave a negative review, at least say what you don't like. Yeah. Because then at least we can be like, fuck you, I'm not changing shit. <laughs> or if it's legitimately a criticism right? that I could, like, take under my hat and yeah, and, all over it. you know, advise yeah. and... I'm willing to take criticism. Yeah. I went through the fucking English department through undergrad and grad. I know what it is to be criticized. <laughs> and constructive criticism, always welcome. Always. But we're not like salty bitches. No. Well, not about that. Maybe the other <laughs> stuff. <laughs> Tell them about Gerard. Oh, yeah. So, to kind of balance out the negative review, we also got an email from a listener named Gerard in Dublin and... It was, honestly, the single best piece of prose we have seen in an age. Yeah. It was I great. mean, Gerard, cheers to you. Yeah. We love you, and thank you for emailing us, and now everyone has proof that we do read our emails, <laughs> and we did respond to you, if you yeah. haven't seen that. Yeah, and, you know, I loved Dublin. Dakota and I were there for, like, four days, Loved Dublin, loved the food, drank so much Guinness and so many Irish coffees that I, I can't believe we made it to the airport to come home. Well, I'm glad you did. Would I have been sorry to miss the flight and have to stay? Probably not. No. But maybe you would have stayed there long enough for us to receive the email from Gerard and you could have just met up with them. Yeah. Hey, Gerard, meet me at... Maybe wherever, you yeah. know? The Boar's Head. That's a, the oldest pub in Dublin or whatever. Yeah. 
Um, <sighs> all right, so next is Chip's basement. Uh, I would love to see what Chip's basement looks like. If he has one. Yeah, Chip. Do you actually have a basement? And what's the decor? Yeah. Here's Chip's basement. He sent us a couple of things. He said, fun fact, skinning someone alive, if done correctly, they are more likely to die of hypothermia rather than blood loss or shock. Um, you know, I feel like I need to respectfully disagree. (laughs) (laughs) Not that I have any scientific basis to refute his claims. I my instincts say that can't be true. (laughs) The next little piece is if you get bleach on your skin and then wash it off, it usually feels slick because you just made soap out of the top layer of your skin. This makes me think of Fight Club. That disgusts me. That disgusts me more than skinning someone alive and them catching hypothermia. Hmm. Honestly, I didn't... It doesn't disgust me, really. Yeah, I don't know why. It just is unsettling to me. It just fully explains to me why uh, Tyler Durden and the mate Edward Norton... He doesn't have a name in Fight Club, actually, but... You know, when they go to the liposuction clinic and get all the human fat to make soap. I've never watched that movie, so. What do you, you mean you, you have know never this? I just feel like everyone has seen Fight Club. <laughs> I can't remember a time I've seen it. You have to watch Fight Club. Maybe. <laughs> I, I am. I am in shock now. I feel like someone has just skinned me, and I am now in shock. Proving Chip incorrect. (laughs) We're going to have Fight Club night. I'm ready for it. First rule of Fight Club is you do not talk about Fight Club. Oh. I was going to say, couldn't tell you. (laughs) It's my, like, one of my all-time favorite movies ever. Mm. It's, It's probably top three. Okay. Especially if you are talking like standalone movies and you take out any like series. Definitely top three. I'll have to give it a go. For sure. Yeah. It's a must watch. I mean, Brad Pitt, Edward Norton, Helena Bonham Carter. It's just, Meatloaf is in it. Meatloaf is in it. It's amazing. Today, we are talking about something a little different. Yes. Um, We're going to talk about two of the most famous unsolved murders. Which you're probably thinking, this doesn't sound different at all. (laughs) This sounds right on brand. (laughs) But we are talking about the murders of Tupac and Biggie. Yep. So. This is an interesting one, actually. Well, they're all interesting. But this one is like, it's much different than any murder we've ever covered, obviously. Right. Um, And we have never made ourselves 
clear to be huge rap fans. Right. But, I mean, most people around our age know who Tupac and Biggie are. Yeah, I mean, I feel like most people know who Tupac and Biggie are. Yeah. I feel like I would be really surprised if someone didn't know at least a Tupac song and a Biggie song. Yeah. Because just by, like, osmosis. Right. So, we're going to talk about them. Uh, And uh, it also might seem weird that we're talking about both of their murders in the same episode. But... They these murders have been linked to one another really since Tupac's murder. Yeah. Which was prior to Biggie's. So these two rappers have been linked in life and in death. So we're gonna cover them together. So we're gonna start with Tupac's murder. On the night of September seventh, nineteen ninety six. God, that was a long time ago. Dude, yeah. Tupac was in Las Vegas, Nevada, to celebrate his business partner, Tracy Daniel Robinson's birthday, and attended the Bruce Selden versus Mike Tyson match with Suge Knight at the MGM Grand. Afterward, in the lobby, someone in their group spotted Orlando Anderson, a.k.a. Baby Lane, um, who was an alleged Southside Compton Crip, whom the individual accused of having recently tried to snatch his neck chain with a Death Row Records medallion in a shopping mall. So this is very heavy drama here. Heavy drama. The hotel's surveillance footage shows the ensuing assault on Anderson. Tupac soon stopped by his hotel room and then headed out with Suge Knight to the Death Row nightclub, Club 662, in a black BMW 750IL. Um, And they were, like, part of a larger convoy. At about 11 p.m. on Las Vegas Boulevard, bicycle-mounted police stopped the car for its loud music and lack of a license plate. And the plates were found in the trunk, and the car was released without a ticket. At about 11.15, at a stoplight, a white four-door late-model Cadillac pulled up to the passenger side of the BMW, and an occupant in that Cadillac rapidly fired into the car, and Tupac was struck four times. Once in the arm, once in the thigh, and twice in the chest with one bullet entering his right lung. Um, now, shards of glass, I'm assuming. Yeah, I think shards of glass is what they're referring to here. Yeah. They hit um, Suge Knight's head, and Frank Alexander, who was Tupac's bodyguard, was not in the car at the time. And he would say he had been tasked to drive the car of Tupac's girlfriend, Kidada Jones. Who is the sister of Rashada Jones, who plays Karen in The Office and Anne in Parks and Rec. Aw. So Suge Knight drove Tupac and himself a mile away from the crime scene to Las Vegas Boulevard and Harmon Avenue, despite his injuries, his own injuries, And they were stopped again by the bike patrol, who then radioed paramedics. 
the both of them were transported to Southern Nevada University Medical Center by police and paramedics. And Tupac was hospitalized, of course, after the incident. And after repeatedly attempting to get out of bed, he was uh, deeply drugged and then placed on life support and eventually put into a medically induced coma. He eventually died of respiratory failure that followed a cardiac arrest due to the removal of his right lung while in the critical care unit on the afternoon of Friday, September 13th of 96, and he was only 25 years old. Doctors, of course, tried to resuscitate him but were unable to halt all of the bleeding, and so at 4.03 p.m., he was pronounced dead. And the official causes of death were respiratory failure and cardiopulmonary arrest um, associated with all of the gunshot wounds. It's crazy to me that he was, like, lucid enough to try to get out of bed multiple times. Yeah. And then they put him into a medically induced coma and then remove his lung and then he dies. It seems like... It seems like someone fucked up somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, what's really weird is sometimes uh, whenever patients have, like, lung issues and they're put on a breathing machine or they're put, uh, or they're sedated, sometimes that exacerbates a lot of the problems. Like, that happened with Angel. Not, like, not the incident when she actually passed away but there were several months prior to that she had an episode and they sedated her Mm -hmm. and um they were they told us at that point like after they sedated her and they were trying to like get her lungs to inflate on their own they told us like this is it you're gonna need to like make your decisions yeah And then my dad was just not, he was not accepting it. And so, so she was at Lee Summit Hospital because her Medicaid had changed. So they wouldn't let her go to KU anymore. And so dad, my dad actually called her doctors who used to see her at KU Mm -hmm. and they came to Lee Summit to treat her and they took her off of the set, the sedative And she woke up. Wow. And they were able to take out her breathing tube within 12 hours. That's crazy. Yeah. Hmm. I was like, if my dad wouldn't have called her doctors from KU to come over, she would have died that day. Yeah. Because they sedated her. It's just weird. You would think that any, like, medical team would be on the same page across the board. Yeah. It was it was the weirdest. That was a really we- weird weekend. But it this makes me think of that. Mm-hmm. That he, not that him getting out of bit, bed shows that he was fine. But, you know, sometimes it just makes you question, like, Was that really... I'm not a medical professional. I've never studied any science whatsoever. But watching my stepmom go through all 
all of the medical procedures that she had over the years from 2011 when she was diagnosed to 2014 whenever she died. Like, so many procedures, so many doctors, so much paperwork dealing with all of that. It now makes me question. Yeah. You know. Like there wasn't like a full plan formulated and put in place. Like was all of this completely necessary? Yeah. Did they have to fully remove his lung? Right. You know, because you can remove a fourth of the lung, half of the lung. You don't have, if there's like an issue with one part of it, you don't have to remove the entire lung. Yeah. Because that was something on the table for Angel as well. Yeah, because I mean, I feel like just like any other part of your body, you know, if it could, whatever piece is taken away, something else can either replace it or it can just be brought back together. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't know. It seems weird, like maybe Tupac may have had a better shot if, I don't know. If he was somewhere else. If he was somewhere else, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, uh, so in 2002... Investigative journalist Chuck Phillips worked for an entire year investigating and writing an article that he then published in the Los Angeles Times that was titled, Who Killed Tupac Shakur? And it was based on police reports and multiple sources. And Phillips reported that, in his opinion, this is his allegation, his speculation, his theory is that The murder of Tupac was carried out by a Compton gang, the Southside Crips, to avenge the assault perpetrated by Suge and Tupac on Orlando Anderson after the fight at the MGM, after the boxing match at the MGM Grand, and that Biggie had actually paid for the gun that the Crips used to shoot Tupac. So, essentially... What Phillips is getting at is Biggie was colluding with the Crips to carry out this murder on Tupac. That's a... That's a heavy allegation. Yeah. Um, but Las Vegas police interviewed Anderson only once, however. Bef- but then Anderson died, I think, 18 months later in an unrelated shooting. So he wasn't ever, like... Fully investigated, I don't think. Yeah. So, but um, in one of the documentaries I watched, it did say that Orlando Anderson actually was kind of out here in the streets saying that he did do it. Well. So, I don't know. Um, The 2002 article by Phillips also alleged that Big and several other people in New York City's criminal underworld were involved. Uh, Obviously, I just said that. Um, Anderson and Big denied involvement, although Orlando Anderson would tell some people that he did it, according to people interviewed in the documentary that I watched by Nick Broomfield. Um... Big, however, seemed to have an alibi. He was apparently in the studio recording music. um, But other people have said that his alibi that he was recording music is also kind of inconclusive. 
can't yeah. really be confirmed. That would be kind of like an easy alibi to give for someone like that. Like, yeah, he's a I rapper. Was recording. I was in the studio. Yeah. yeah. So, I don't know. Um, LA Times editor Mark Duvoisin wrote that Philip's story has withstood all challenges to its accuracy and remains the definitive account of the Tupac slaying. That seems a little far. Yeah. I don't think it can be described as definitive. Uh, Biggie's family obviously denies the report and has produced documents uh, that are purported to show that he was in New York and New Jersey at the time. But the New York Times has called the documents inconclusive, stating that the pages purport to be three computer printouts from Daddy's house. I think that's a studio. <laughs> Indicating that Big was in the studio recording a song called Nasty Boy on the night that Tupac was shot. They indicate that Biggie himself wrote half the session was in and out Saturday around was in and out and sat around and laid down a reference, shorthand for reference vocal. Um, but nothing indicates when the documents were created. And the recording engineer listed on the sheet said in an interview that he remembered recording the song with Biggie in a late night session, but not during the day. He could not recall the date of the session, but said it was likely not the night that Tupac was shot. So, all right, we've got we've got some questions here. Who knows? Yeah, we're gonna explore this more. Tupac was cremated uh, the day after his death. His ashes were reportedly scattered in his mom's garden. However, according to other reports, his ashes would be were supposed to be transported to Africa on the tenth anniversary of his death. Obviously, both of these things could be true. Some of his ashes could be in his mom's garden. The rest could have been taken by Afeni to Africa. His mom's name is Afeni Shakur, by the way. Um, Tupac's mom in transport was supposed to be the one transporting the ashes to Soweto, South Africa, to meet Nelson Mandela. According to her, the events that occurred were sig a significant part of her history, and it will be an honor for her son to be buried in South Africa. Oh, that's very precious. Yeah. I just have to say that the Chinese that we had last night, first of all, bomb. Yeah, it was pretty good. The chicken was very good. My chicken was very good. But it was so scorching hot when we started to eat that now, like, my gums on the inside of my teeth feel like... You know, it's like Captain Crunch mm -hmm. roof in my mouth. That's yeah. what it feels like now. Damn, dude. I know. So. I didn't eat a lot of my chicken. I just ate my rice. Mm. I ate about half of it, and then Dakota ate the rest. Good. Um, now on to the murder of Biggie Smalls. On March 8th, 1997... Biggie attended the Soul Train Awards um, after party hosted by Vibe and Quest Records at the Peterson Automotive Museum. Guests included Faith Evans, Aaliyah, and members of the Bloods and Crips gangs. I guess they were just getting along that night or? It's, 
I don't know. There's a lot of gang things, like, in this story, but... And we'll cover, like, the whole gang thing. But what's weird is that some... It seems like members of these two gangs could, like, coexist fine. But in any scenario, shit hitting the fan, then... Then they're against each other. Then they're against each other. Okay. Whatever. I mean, I yeah. It's it's a weird situation. I don't know. We've never talked about gangs on the show. No. But, I mean, I'm like... It, I'm fascinated by the inner workings of gang-related activity. Yeah. I mean, you know. It's scary. We kind of have a gang. A little bit. It's a two-man gang. But yeah. No one can join it. A gang nonetheless. <laughs> The next day at 12.30 a.m., the fire department closed the party down early because it was overcrowded. So Biggie left with his entourage and two GMC Suburbans to return to his hotel. He traveled in the front passenger seat along associates Damien D-Rock Butler, Lil Cease, and the driver, uh, Gregory Young, a.k.a. G-Money. I feel like sitting in the front passenger seat as a celebrity is probably just a not a good idea. I feel like people just celebs simply do not sit in the front passenger seat now. No, middle back. That's right. They're absolutely not being seen. Yeah. So the two trucks were trailed by a Chevy Blazer carrying bad boy director of security Paul Offord. Mm. By 12.45 a.m., the streets were getting crowded with all the people leaving the party, and Biggie's truck stopped at a red light about 50 yards away from the Peterson Automotive Museum. Listen, do not stop at fucking red lights. No, we are just driving through them That's from right. now on. Run the red. <laughs> um, so at this stop, a black Chevy Impala pulled up alongside their truck. And the Impala's driver, who is an unidentified African-American man dressed in a blue suit and bow tie. How do they know he was in a blue suit and a bow tie, but they can't identify who he is? Yeah. Well, (laughs) he rolled down his window and withdrew his 9mm blue steel pistol. They even know what pistol he has. (laughs) Yeah. Listen, what does this fucking face look like? (laughs) And fired at. Biggie's car. Four bullets. Again. Oh my god. What? How did I not make these connections whenever I was writing this shit? Four bullets hit Biggie and his entourage. um, And so they subsequently rushed him to the hospital called Cedars Sinai Medical Center. Sinai. Sinai Medical Center. Where doctors performed an emergency thoracotomy. Um, but he was pronounced dead at 1.15 a.m., so literally 30 minutes later. Literally. He was only 24, and his autopsy, which was released 15 years after his death... The fuck? ...showed that only only the final shot was fatal, and it entered through his right hip and struck his colon, liver, heart... And left lung before getting stopped by his left shoulder blade. Good God. That's wild. Um, 
Biggie's funeral was held at the Frank E. Campbell Funeral Chapel in Manhattan on March 18th. There are around 350 people at this funeral. Um, I'm having a really fucking bad cramp right now. <laughs> it's taking my breath away. <laughs> um, some of these people included Lil Cease, Queen Latifah, Mace, Faith Evans, SWV, Jay-Z, uh, Damon Dash, DJ Premier, um, Run DMC, Lil' Kim, Salt and Pepper, a lot, a lot of famous musical artists. Yeah, tons of people. Um, so. It was a big deal. Yeah. It was yeah, a big deal. Absolutely. Yeah, so those are the two murders themselves. Right. We're seeing a lot of parallels. Four Me- bullets. Four bullets. In each person. Mm-hmm. Both of them were in the passenger, the front passenger seat. Mm-hmm. Both incidents occurred at a stoplight. After, like, a party situation. After a party. Weird. Listen. I'm just saying. And they happened six months apart. Mm. Okay, so... <clears throat> Now that we've told you about the murders, we're going to tell you about Tupac and Big themselves for people who maybe don't know that much about them. Um, So we're going to start with Tupac. Tupac Amaru Shakur is his name. And we all know he's considered one of the most influential rappers of all time. He's one of the best-selling music artists, selling more than 75 million records. Um, which is astonishing when you think about he was only making music for, I don't know, six years. Yeah. So that's wild. Um, and aside from just the record sales, what sets Tupac really apart from his colleagues is how at the time he used his music to address contemporary social issues particularly issues that oppress inner-city communities. And he is largely considered a symbol of activism against inequality. Um, And Tupac also had a really interesting life, generally. Um, He was born June 16th, 1971, so he would have recently celebrated... Uh, His 50th? 50th birthday? Yeah. So, I mean, still really young. Super young. Uh, who who knows what he would be out here doing? Yeah. Probably still rapping. I mean... I mean, look at Snoop Dogg. Exactly. He was, like, super close with Snoop back in the day, so... Yeah. Him and Snoop would still be out here fucking doing it. That would be so precious. I know. So fucking sad. Anyway. Um... He was born in New York City, and his mom was Afini Shakur, and his dad was Billy Garland. Um, he didn't have a super close relationship with his dad. His dad left when he was around two years old, and he was kind of in and out for the rest of Tupac's life. But Tupac's mom would marry Matulu Shakur, who adopted him, essentially, and that's where Tupac gets his last name from. And Tupac was, he was probably two or three whenever Afini married Matulu. 
And Matulu already had a son who was a few years older than Tupac, and his name was Moprim. And then Afini and Matulu would later have a daughter named Sakiwa. So Tupac had an older brother and a younger sister. Um, Afini Shakur and Billy Garland were actually both activists in the Black Panther Party. Matulu Shakur was also a member of the Black Panthers Black Liberation Army. So, and Tupac also had several other family members who were activists within the Black Panther Party. So he was kind of raised around activism. Around activism, yeah. yeah. In his early life, he grew up in New York City, but would move to Baltimore in 1984. And he attended Roland Park Middle School in eighth grade and then went to Paul Lawrence Dunbar High School in ninth grade. He then transferred to the Baltimore School for the Arts in 10th grade and studied acting, poetry, jazz, and ballet. And while he was at the Baltimore School for the Arts, he actually met Jada Pekin Smith. Aww. And they were, like, friends for the rest of his life. I love that. Um, let's see. In his time... At the Baltimore School for the Arts, he performed in many Shakespeare plays. He starred as the Mouse King in The Nutcracker. So he was really invested in the theater. Yeah. Which I did know that Tupac was really into Shakespeare. I had heard, several years ago, heard an interview of him talking to, it might have just been a journalist, and he talked about, how he talked about Shakespeare at length. Um, so I did know that he was pretty well-versed, but I didn't know that he studied ballet and even performed in the Nutcracker. Yeah. That's, that's, that's really sick. different. Yeah. Cause a lot, especially if you're thinking like this time period, dudes kind of thought that ballet was kind of a woman's only thing mm-hmm. and probably would have assumed any dude doing ballet was gay. Yeah. So it's fucking cool. Yeah. And I love the Nutcracker. It was the first ballet I ever saw in person, and it was the best day of my life. I did cry. (laughs) In 1988, Tupac moved to Marin City, California, which is a suburb of San Francisco, and he attended Tamalpay, I don't know, high school, and continued his theatrical career and performed in several school productions. While he didn't actually graduate high school, he would later get his GED. And I think in 1988, he would have been a senior. So he really, he pretty much finished his education. Yeah. He just, I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. I think, I mean, he started rapping really soon after this. So yeah, that probably was it. Probably. Honestly. So he began recording music under the stage name MC New York in 1989. And he also had a rap group called Strictly Dope. That's a really good rap group name. Yeah, it is. (laughs) He began attending poetry classes given by Layla Steinberg, and she soon became his manager. Steinberg organized a concert for Tupac and the rest of Strictly Dope. And she actually eventually gets Tupac signed with Atron Gregory, who was the manager of the group Digital Underground. 
in January of 1991. Tupac debuted under the stage name Tupac um, on Digital Underground under a new record label, Interscope Records, which is very, very popular. Very huge. And on the group's January 1991 single, Same Song, um, the song was featured on the soundtrack of the 1991 film Nothing But Trouble. His debut album was Tupacalypse Now. That's so fucking clever. Super clever. Um, which was alluding to the 1979 film Apocalypse Now. That arrived in November of 91 and would bear three singles. Now, some prominent rappers in today's world, like Nas, Eminem, The Game, I don't know who that is, Talib. Quayle, Talib Quilly. I don't know. Um, cite it as an inspiration. Um, let's see. Now the singles, If My Homie Calls, Trapped, and Brenda's Got a Baby, poetically depict individual struggles under socioeconomic disadvantages. And his second album was released in February 1993, (laughs) and this was a critical and commercial success because it debuted at number 24 on the pop album charts on the Billboard 200, and overall, it was more of a a hardcore album and emphasized um, his socio-political views and had like a metallic production quality yeah this and i in my brain i was calling this album strictly for oh yeah because i mean you know we we can't say the other word in there yeah absolutely not the single i get around is like a party anthem featuring uh digital underground shock g and money b which would render shakur's popular breakthrough reaching number 11 on the pop singles chart on the Billboard Hot 100. Now, this album would be certified platinum with a million copies sold. That's so many. Yeah. In late 1993, he formed the group Thug Life with Tyrus Himes, a.k.a. Big Sky, and Dyron Rivers, who was called Macadocious, um, and his stepbrother, Mo Preem, and Walter Burns, who they called Rated R. And Thug Life released its only album called Thug Life, Volume 1, on October 11th, 1994, which is certified gold. In 93, while visiting Los Angeles, Notorious B.I.G. asked a local drug dealer to introduce him to Tupac, and they instantly became friends. And the pair would socialize um, when Tupac went to New York or Biggie went to Los Angeles. During this period, at his own live shows, Tupac would call Biggie onto stage to rap with him, and together they recorded the songs Running From the Police and House of Pain. And reportedly, Biggie asked Tupac to manage him, um, and Tupac advised him that Puffy would make him a star. Yet in the meantime, Tupac's lifestyle was comparatively lavish to Biggie, who hadn't really established himself yet. But 
Tupac welcomed Biggie to join his side group, Thug Life, and he would instead form his own side group called the Junior Mafia with his Brooklyn friends Lil Cease and Lil Kim. Now, Tupac's third album, called Me Against the World, was released while he was actually incarcerated in March of 95, and it is now hailed as his magnum, op- magnum opus, mm-hmm. and commonly ranks among the greatest, most influential rap albums like of all time, and it debuted at number one on the Billboard 200 and sold 240,000 copies of it in its very first week, setting a record for the highest first week sales for a solo male rapper. Now, he was incarcerated for a sexual assault charge, but um, this conviction, this is a conviction that he denied, of course, and then appealed. Yes. While he was in prison in 1995, his mother was about to lose her house. Tupac had his wife, Keisha Morris, contact Death Row Records founder Suge Knight in L.A. And um, apparently Tupac's mom promptly received $15,000. So, yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. After an August visit to the Clinton Correctional Facility in northern New York State, um... Suge Knight traveled southward to New York City to attend the second annual Source Awards ceremony. Meanwhile, at an East Coast-West Coast hip-hop hip-hop rivalry was brewing between Death Row and Bad Boy Records. Now, Death Row Records was owned by Suge Knight, and Bad Boy Records was owned by uh, Sean Combs, you know, Puff Daddy, Puffy, whatever people want to call him. Diddy. Yeah. I think that's kind of what he goes by now. P. Diddy. Is Diddy. Yeah. In October of 1995, Suge visited Tupac in prison again and actually posted his bond of $1.4 million. God damn. And then Tupac returned to L.A. and joined Death Row Records. With the appeal of his December 1994 conviction pending. Let's see. I didn't think... Okay, this isn't much longer. I was like, shit. I didn't think this was this long. Yeah. Prior to October of 95, he had been with Interscope Records, but allegedly he left to join Death Row Records because Interscope failed to get him out of prison, but Suge Knight was able to. So he was like, fuck you guys, I'm joining Death Row Records. Essentially, yeah. His contract with Death Row was for three albums. I never found how much he was contracted to get for those three albums. Um, it, I mean, there, some of that comes up a little later as well, but um, what I found really interesting when I was watching the documentaries was that Layla Steinberg, his manager, um, talked about his, his whenever he was in prison that the people at Interscope, he, who he worked with, mm-hmm. she said that they easily could have gotten him out. Yeah, I wonder what was up with that. And, yeah, I don't know. It's really difficult to say why they didn't make any moves to get him out, but he just... 
I don't know how he met Suge Knight or how they, I mean. Maybe they contacted him. Maybe just, and being in L.A., I don't know. Because Suge Knight is the first person that Tupac called for his mom as well. Yeah. Because he knew he would get the money to her in time. So I don't know how he knew Suge, but it could just be like the L.A. scene. Right. You know, I mean, that's kind of how that goes. Yeah. But, you know. His fourth album was All Eyes on Me, and it arrived in February of 96. It was Rap's first double album, meeting two of the three albums due in his contract with Death Row, and it had five singles. It was certified five times multi-platinum by April. Death Row released Tupac's diss track called Hit Em Up, as the non-album B-side to How Do You Want It. And in this venomous tirade, the proclaimed bad boy killer threatens violent payback on all all things bad boy. So Biggie, P. Diddy, Junior Mafia, the company, and on any in New York's rap scene like rap duo Mob, Mob Deep and rapper Chino XL, who allegedly had commented against Tupac about the dispute, and at the time of his death, a fifth and final solo album was already finished called The Don Caluminati, The Seven Day Theory, under the stage name Machiavelli, and it had been recorded in one week in August and released that year of 96. Oh my god, that was so much information. My brain hurts. <laughs> it's so much. I would... I'm gonna, Obviously, now we're going to talk about Big, but... It just... It feels really necessary to have so much information just because people aren't, aren't going to understand why it matters why we're talking about murders that don't seem to fit our usual like shit. Yeah. And we have to know who these people are and what they did in order to talk about like the feud and yeah. It it makes sense, you guys. It makes sense. I like information. Okay, so now we're going to talk about Big. So his actual stage name is Notorious BIG, but he's also known as Biggie Smalls or just Biggie. I always think of him as Biggie. Yeah. But his actual name, stage name, is Notorious B.I.G. So, obviously, just like Tupac, he's considered one of the greatest rappers of all time. His music is heavily rooted in the New York rap style and scene because he was from Brooklyn. He had a bit more of a laid-back delivery, and it seemed to work as a juxtaposition to the rather grim or dark lyrical content. He wrote mostly partially autobiographical work and discussed hardship and also criminal activity. He's stated multiple times that he started selling drugs at a really young age on the streets of Brooklyn. Um, there seems to be quite a bit of crossover between the things that Tupac wrote about and the things that Biggie wrote about. Obviously, they both grew up in slightly or completely marginalized communities and suffered all the injustices that come with that. 
And obviously that's one of the things that drew them to each other. Yeah. Probably. Usually that's how you like link up with someone, become friends with someone is a common ground. Right. So, and they were both from New York, which is funny that they end up in the East Coast, West Coast feud because they're both from New York. Yeah. But Tupac had been in L.A. for, you know, however many years. Right. So he was officially a West Coast rapper, but he was born and raised in, on the West Coast, or the East Coast. So that's a little bit of a head scratcher. So, um, okay, so Big's early life, he, he was born Christopher Wallace. That's his actual name. On May 21st, 1972, to parents Valletta Wallace and Selwyn George Latour. He was the only child of Valletta and Selwyn, who were both Jamaican immigrants. Valletta was a preschool teacher, and Selwyn was a welder and politician. And Selwyn would actually eventually leave Valletta to raise Biggie alone when Big was about two. Biggie was raised Catholic. He went to Queen of All Saints Middle School and excelled as a student. He won several awards as an English student. Good job. He attended St. Peter Claver Church in the borough. He was nicknamed Big because of his size, obviously, and he was technically overweight by the age of 10. And obviously, this is horrible, and kids are really fucking mean. Um, Biggie claimed to have been dealing drugs at about age 12, and his mother, who worked a lot, first learned of this during his adulthood from listening to his music. <laughs> so that's... Yeah, that's a shocker. That's a shocker. Um, he began rapping as a teenager, entertaining people on the streets, and performed in local groups. The old Gold Brothers, as well as the Techniques, his earliest stage name was MC C-West. <laughs> or maybe it's Quest. Could be. MC Quest. I don't know. But... <laughs> I mean, Tupac's first stage name was MC New York. So, Biggie would eventually request to be transferred from Bishop Laughlin Memorial High School to Fort Greene to George Westinghouse Career and Technical Education High School. That's too many names. In downtown Brooklyn. Here, he would meet future rapper Jay-Z and Busta Rhymes. They were all classmates. According to Biggie's mom, Valletta, he was still a good student at this stage, but started to develop a smart-ass attitude at the new school. And at age 17, in 1989, he dropped out of high school and became more involved in crime. That same year, he was arrested on a weapons charge in Brooklyn, sentenced to five years probation. In 1990, he was arrested for violation of that probation. And a year later, he was arrested in North Carolina for dealing crack cocaine, and he spent nine months in jail before making bail. Damn. So, you know, he's just out here. That's a lot. So after his release from jail, Biggie made a demo tape called Microphone Murderer, 
while calling himself Biggie Smalls, alluding both to Calvin Lockhart's character in the 1975 film Let's Do It Again and to his own stature. Um, I mean, he was six foot three and like 300, 380 pounds. That's a that's a big person. That's a big dude. Although he reportedly lacked real ambition for the tape, a local DJ called Mr. C of Big Daddy Kane and Juice Crew Association discovered it and started promoting it. And it was heard by The Source, which was a rap magazine. It was discovered by their editor in 1992. In March, the Source column called Unsigned Hype, was dedicated to airing Promising Rappers, and they featured Biggie. He then spun the attention into a recording, and upon hearing the demo tape, Sean Combs, P. Diddy, um, still with the A&R department of Uptown Records, arranged to meet Biggie. He was promptly signed to Uptown, and Biggie appeared on label mates Heavy D and the Boys, 1993 song, has a, it has a very inappropriate name. Um, but mid-year to a year after his signing, Uptown fired P. Diddy, who a week later launched Bad Boy Records, and uh, which was instantly Biggie's new label. So I, I think Biggie was pretty loyal to Diddy. Yeah. It would make sense. Yeah. Which I think we, we see that with Tupac and Suge as well. Right. So... It kind of perpetuated the later issues. Yeah. On August 8th of 1993, Biggie's longtime girlfriend gave birth to his first child, Tiana, although the couple had split by then. Um, Biggie promised his daughter everything she wanted and, uh, and his reasoning that if he had to have, that if he had had the same in childhood, he would have graduated at the top of his class. Um, but he continued dealing drugs and P. Diddy discovered that and, uh, obliged him to quit. So later that year, Biggie gained exposure on a remix of Mary J. Blige's single Real Love. Having found his moniker, Biggie Smalls, already claimed he took a new one, holding for good, the Notorious B.I.G., now, one thing that we should point out is that Biggie's mom, Valletta, said in the Broomfield documentary that Biggie's childhood wasn't necessarily troubled. Um, she said that he always had a home and there was always food on the table. Yeah, so, I mean... A lot of people, and I don't ever want to, like, tell people their childhood feelings are invalid whatsoever. Right. But a lot of people take that, like, I had a single mom and, like, run with it. Yeah, and I mean, he grew up in Brooklyn in a rougher neighborhood. Right. So, him having, like, a rough childhood, starting to sell drugs at age 12, yeah, that's rough. And you're, like, in all of the seedy parts of the city. But I don't think that should be conflated with his mom being a bad parent. Yeah, absolutely not. So... So around this time, Biggie became friends with fellow rapper Tupac. Um, Lil Cease recalled the pair as, like, super close. They often traveled together when they weren't working. 
that kind of stuff. And according to him, Biggie was a frequent guest at his house, and they spent time together when Tupac was in California or Washington, D.C. Um, Yuck Mouth, who was an Oakland MC, claimed that Biggie's style was actually inspired by Tupac. Okay, that makes sense. Sure. In July of 1994, he appeared alongside LL Cool J and Busta Rhymes on a remix of his own label mate, Craig Max, called Flava in Your Ear, um, which is a remix reaching number nine on the Billboard Hot 100. On August 4th, 1994, Biggie married R&B singer Faith Evans, whom he had met eight days prior at a bad boy photo shoot. <laughs> Five days later, Biggie had his first pop chart success as a solo artist with um, Double A Side, Juicy, and Unbelievable, which reached number 27 as the lead single to his debut album. Um, and his debut album was titled Ready to Die, and it was released September 13th, 1994. And it reached number 13 on the Billboard 200 chart. It was eventually certified four times platinum. And the album shifted attention back to East Coast hip-hop at a time when West Coast hip-hop dominated U.S. charts. It gained strong reviews and was re had received much praise in retrospect. Um, so he's kind of credited with putting East Coast hip-hop back at the forefront of hip-hop. Because I think originally... Not that I am a scholar of hip-hop history, but I think hip-hop was born out of the boroughs of New York City. Yeah. I think that's kind of where it was birthed. So a lot of people feel like Biggie was bringing it back to its actual roots. So, because at this time you have a lot of West Coast stuff. You have like... Dr. Dre and N.W.A. being really popular at the late 80s, early 90s. Snoop Dogg did a lot of work with, with Dre. And obviously Tupac is in there at the, you know, right. early 90s. So all the a lot of those early 90s big names were West Coast people. Um, in 1995, Biggie worked with Michael Jackson on a song called This Time Around. And in the summer of 95, Biggie met a girl named Charlie Baltimore, and they became involved romantically. But I think he was actually, at this time, still married to Faith Evans. So they were estranged. Hopefully. Not really sure. <laughs> in August of 95, Biggie's um, side group, Junior Mafia, released their debut album, Conspiracy. And um, rappers involved in Junior Mafia were Lil' Kim and Lil' Cease. And they both went on to have pretty successful solo careers, especially Lil' Kim. She's mm -hmm. somebody we all know. Um, the record went gold and had singles, Players Anthem and Get Money. And Biggie featured on both of them. And those singles, respectively, went gold and platinum. Biggie worked a lot with R&B artists and collaborated with groups 112 and Total, with both of those projects reaching the top 20. 
of the Hot 100, and by the end of the year, Biggie was the top-selling top selling male solo artist and rapper in the U.S. On March 23, 96, he was actually arrested outside of a Manhattan nightclub for chasing and threatening two fans seeking autographs. He smashed the windows of their taxi and punched one of them. That is a little intense. I What else was going on is the thing. Yeah. I mean, I feel like he wouldn't just, like, get pissed that, like, fans were trying to get his autograph. Like, they might have been, like, heavily fucking with him. Yes. Yeah. And, like, I think I haven't really met any famous people. Yeah. You know, the people that I've met that I was, like, excited about were, like, band members. Right. (laughs) So, and you meet them at shows. So it's always, like... It's an appropriate time. It's an appropriate time to go and, hey, hey, can I get a picture? Right. Fully appropriate. I've never just been out here on the streets and see a famous person, so I don't know what it's like to see them and then run up to them, you know? Yeah. But I feel like you can read the room. Right. There's a time when you can tell that they are probably, you're not interrupting them in anything. You're not interrupting their dinner. You're not interrupting them actually working. Yeah. So they're probably more open (laughs) to talking to you. Yeah. So who knows what he was doing? He could have been with his fucking family. Right. That's, that's not appropriate. No. You don't, you can't just, they're real people. They have lives. Yeah. You can't just be like, hey. I'm sorry to interrupt your child's birthday party, but can I get an autograph? Yeah. Like, no, fuck you. (laughs) So I don't know what the rest of the story is on that, but he pled guilty to second degree harassment. He got 100 hours community service. And in mid-96, he was arrested at his home in Teaneck, New Jersey for drug and weapons possession. Oh. And... In states like New Jersey and New York, weapons charges are fucking serious. Yeah, they like are. it's it's not really that deep here in Missouri, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but in New York especially. Well, after a recent Supreme Court ruling, it's not really that serious anymore. No, but uh. <laughs> Until this past week, it was very serious. In June of 96, Tupac released his single, Hit Him Up. And in the single, he claimed to have had sex with Faith Evans, who was estranged from Biggie at the time. And that Biggie had copied his style and image. Biggie referenced the first claim on Jay-Z's single, Brooklyn's Finest, in which he raps, quote, if they have twins, she probably have two pox. Get it? Two pox. <laughs> However, he did not directly respond to the track. I feel like that's a direct response to the track. Yeah, it's not very dissy, though. Yeah, I mean, it's just all kind of It's just like, like an acknowledgement. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, he did not respond directly to the track, but in a radio interview, he said that it was not his style to respond. You did fucking respond. Well, I don't know why we're saying he didn't respond. He did. <laughs> he fully acknowledged what Tupac said in his track. What's your definition of a response? Uh, this would add to the speculation when just a few months later Tupac was shot and killed in Vegas. Rumors obviously immediately circulated that Biggie was involved. 
that would make complete sense. Yeah, I mean, in June, if you both release diss tracks on both of them, and then in September, that person is shot. Yeah. People are going to be like, hmm. Yeah, I wonder who did this. Interesting. So, let's get into the feud of Tupac and Biggie. Um, on November 30th, 1994, while in New York rec- recording verses for a mixtape of Ron G., Tupac was repeatedly distracted by his beeper. And a fucking beeper. Uh, you know it's 1994. <laughs> his music manager, James uh, Rosemond. Rosemond. That's what it is, right? Yeah, Rosemond. Um, who was also called Jimmy Henchman. Reportedly offered Tupac seven grand to stop by Quad Studios and Times Square that night to record a verse for his client, Little Sean. Tupac was unsure, but he agreed to the session as he needed the cash to offset legal cost. He arrived with Stretch and one and one or two other people. And in the lobby, three men robbed and beat him at gunpoint. And Tupac resisted and was shot. So he speculated that this was clearly a setup. Which uh, kind of seems like it. I would say he his speculation was <laughs> on point. Now, against doctor's advice, he checked out of the Metropolitan Hospital Center a few hours after surgery and secretly went to the house of the actress Jasmine Guy uh, to recuperate. The next day, he arrived at a Manhattan courthouse, bandaged and in a wheelchair to receive the jury's verdict for his sexual abuse case. He posted his $25,000 bond and spent the next few weeks being cared for by his mom and private doctor at Jasmine Guy's home. The Fruit of Islam and former members of the Black Panther Party actually stood guard to protect him. In a 1995 interview with Vibe magazine, Tupac actually accused uh, Sean Combs, P. Diddy, um, Jimmy Henchman, and Biggie of setting up um, that robbery and shooting. And the magazine then alerted the names of the accused. <laughs> They're stirring the pot out yeah. here. Yeah. The accusations were very significant to the rivalry and the East Coast, West Coast hip hop thing. And the accusation was because P. Diddy and Biggie were at Quad Studios at the time in 1995. Months later, Combs and Biggie released the song Who Shot Ya? <laughs> Whereas the song made no direct reference of naming Tupac, he was like, uh, okay, um, this makes it seem like they could be responsible. Yeah. So he released a direct diss song called Hit Em Up, where he targeted Biggie, P. Diddy, their record label, Junior Mafia, and at the end of Hit Em Up, he mentions rivals Mob Deep and Chino XL. In March of 2008, here's Chuck Phillips again. Back at it. In the LA Times, reported on the 1994 ambush and shooting. And the newspaper later retracted the article since it relied partially on FBI documents later discovered to be forged, supplied by a man convicted of fraud. Fucking cool. In June of 2011, convicted murderer Dexter Isaac, who was incarcerated in Brooklyn issued a confession 
that he had been one of the gunmen who had robbed and shot Tupac at henchman's order. Phillips then named Isaac as one of his own and retracted articles or retracted articles unnamed sources. So it seems I mean it seems to be it. That yeah. So it seems like Tupac and Biggie were friends, but really got caught up in the feud of the two coasts. And then after the 1994 shooting, um, that was kind of like the final straw. But nothing has ever been presented to link P. Diddy or Biggie to the 1994 shooting, aside from the fact that they were at Quad Studio at the time that the shooting occurred. Which is suspect. Yes, it is. It almost seems that Tupac and Biggie would have been, like, a serious force if they hadn't been torn apart by these feuds. Um, so. Yeah. It's sad. It is really sad. <laughs> okay, so, now that we know about the feud, are the l- murders linked? Now, there obviously have been many speculations that Tupac and Big were linked. But are they? Are they? I don't know. We're going to talk about it. So some people think that they were killed by the same person. But just kind of vaguely the same person. Mm Mm-hmm. I think this is probably because their murders were so close and so similar. Right. But there's not any real evidence to suggest that they were linked other than, I guess, kind of the things we talked about when we talked about the murders. Right. Um, But, so I don't... That's a really vague theory. Just, yes, they're done by the same person. But there's also the theory that the murders were kind of retaliatory. So there's the theory that Biggie's murder was a retaliation for Tupac's murder. um, Because Biggie was an early suspect in Tupac's murder. Stemming from, obviously, their very well-known feud and rivalry. But also because in the East Coast-West Coast feud, a lot of people associated Bad Boy Records, which is Biggie's label, with the Crips. Yeah. And then they associate Death Row with the Bloods. So a lot of people all take that information and then think that because Orlando Anderson was a Crip, they think Orlando Anderson killed Tupac at the behest of Biggie and Bad Boy Records. Mm-hmm. And so then the Bloods killed Biggie in retaliation. I mean, it kind of makes sense. I mean, that is a very viable theory. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, six months, though, is a long time because you, f- you think that maybe that retaliation might be a little bit sooner. Yeah, because, I mean, retaliation is fueled by anger. Right. So... I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. This, that's a very long time to me. Yeah, it is. Um, but the to me, the most interesting theory is that Suge Knight was behind both murders. Mm, I don't like Ooh. 
plot twist. I don't like it. <laughs> so, in the two documentaries by Nick Broomfeld, so one of one was actually just released last July, twenty twenty one. It's called Last Man Standing: Suge Knight and the Murders of Biggie and Tupac. And then there was one that preceded that by Nick Broomfeld, just called Biggie and Tupac. Both of these can be found on Amazon. For free, I think. I don't think I paid for them. Um, but in these documentaries, it is alleged, speculated, theorized, that Suge Knight was behind both murders. Now, first, the sources say that Suge and Death Row Records still owed Tupac millions of dollars in royalties from his albums, the first two albums of his contract. And that this was leading Tupac to leave Death Row Records and also demand an audit to discover how much he was owed and to recover it. Hmm. So, obviously, Suge would not want to deal with an audit, but he also wouldn't want to lose the most talented and popular artist. Right. Obviously, the only rapper we know from death row records is fucking tupac yeah <laughs> so obviously suge would not have wanted this to go down so the theory is that tupac could not be persuaded out of leaving and then suge was left to deal with the situation and because of this, he orchestrated the altercation between Tupac and Orlando Anderson on the night of the boxing match. That resulted later in the shooting of Tupac. And he orchestrated this to look like a gang-related murder. That is very deep. Yes. What is interesting, well, another interesting aspect is that according to... The, an article in Music in Minnesota by Bo Weber. After the shooting occurred, Suge drove... So the shooting occurs at the stoplight, and instead of stopping, Suge actually continued to drive himself and Tupac away from the scene, despite Tupac having probably fairly obviously egregious injuries. Right. So he drove him away from the scene... But they were stopped by bike patrol, and it was then that Tupac was taken to the hospital. So, why why wasn't he uh, getting Tupac medical attention? Right. Why was he driving him away from the scene? Yeah. And what would have happened if bike patrol had not stopped them? And then called for the paramedics. That's a good question. I mean, this is suspicious for sure. A little suspicious. So, um, but how does the Suge, Knight, and Tupac situation relate to Biggie's murder six months later, you ask? Well, the speculation is that Biggie's murder was orchestrated by Suge to appear retaliatory for Tupac's murder. So at this point, Suge Knight is a fucking mastermind here. Right. But uh, this would support the idea that both murders were gang-related, since Biggie and everybody at Bad Boys were 
kind of aligned or associated with the Crips and death row records with the Bloods. So, you know, Suge is out here orchestrating a very drawn-out double homicide. Yeah, I just, I, I don't lean that way. Um, I... <laughs> I lean towards the should theory, actually. I just feel like that is... That's a lot to orchestrate and not get caught in the crosshairs. I, um... While it's happening. Right. I, I feel like when I boil it down... Whenever you say the whole thing, it sounds very grandiose. But in my brain, when I boil it down to hit, like, the thought process... If he's sitting here thinking, how do I stop Tupac from auditing me? Mm -hmm. God only knows what's going on in their books. Because they had a lot of um, drug cartels padding their bank accounts. So they definitely did not want to be audited. Yeah. In my brain, I'm thinking, if Suge is considering this audit and he's thinking, I have to deal with Tupac... He already knows, they've already been living in this gang world, and he already knows that the Bloods have his back. Yeah. Because they, all of the scenes in this documentary, they're all wearing red. They're all, the affiliation is very obvious on Death Row Records' side. Right. So, I feel like he probably was just operating on an assumption. He knew that Orlando Anderson had tried to snatch... Tupac's chain prior. So he knew that if Orlando Anderson and Tupac were in the same vicinity, they would fight. Right. Well, that makes sense. So if he set up the fight, then he could also hire people later to shoot Tupac. And then it would just, people would just connect the dots. Yeah. And then... He could just hire people to kill Big, too, and it would look like a retaliation. So, I mean, he's only really making three calls. That's true. I don't know. It, it's compelling to me. He does He does have a very diabolical mind. Well, I don't yeah. know. Um, <clears throat> anyway, there's also a lot of conspiracy involved here. With the Suge Knight. Well, this actually, this part is actually pretty well known. The LAPD. You knew it was coming. You knew they were coming in. LAPD has been riddled with corruption for years. Yeah. Dirty cops everywhere. Mm-hmm. So, in conjunction with the Suge Knight theory, brings in the theory, or I guess the just kind of quote-unquote fact, it's been pretty well established that LAPD was working with Death Row Records. Um, And then this leads to the speculation that they were also involved in the murders. And it's pretty well known that they did try to kind of hinder the investigations. So according to the Broomfield docs, Suge employed several LAPD officers as security in their off time. This included Chief of Police David Mack and Officer Rafael Perez. 
Both would be later charged and convicted in conjunct in connection with drug trafficking and a bank robbery. So, they were that's, corrupt. That's pretty deep. <laughs> pretty deep. Uh, it's alleged that Mac and Perez were directly involved with the murders, some even saying that one of them was the actual shooter. And this comes from former officer Russell Poole, who dedicated his life to investigating these murders. Was heavily vilified by the LAPD. He had to eventually leave and then bring a lawsuit against LAPD. Goddamn. <laughs> and it was stated that while he was still with the LAPD, he was told in no uncertain terms, that he was not to look in to the murders of Tupac or Big. Hmm. That's a red flag. Oh, so, yeah. Um, yeah, so LAPD is involved in here. Conspiracy, conspiracy, conspiracy. Um, but I, you know, do we have any definite answers? No. No. That's why we're doing an episode on it. That's why we're doing an episode on it. Um, and Suge Knight was convicted in 2018 of voluntary manslaughter for running over a 55-year-old man named Terry in 2015 and some other crimes. He was sentenced to 28 years in prison. Goddamn. So, there you go. I don't think we really need to go through the suspects. No. We already did that. I will say, though, I was looking at the list of artists um, signed to Death Row Records. And really, the only ones outside of Tupac that most people are going to know about is MC Hammer. He was signed to Death Row, which is weird, right? Yeah. This is definitely after his peak. Yeah. Um, Nate Dog. Okay, I don't know Nate Dog. And then, of course, Snoop Dog. Yeah, I knew. The... I knew Snoop Dog was affiliated with Death Row, but I did not. wasn't sure if he was actually signed to Death Row Records or if he just featured on their shit. Yeah, and really, the only other one that even stands out to me. Is, well, and also Dr. Dre. Um, Bow Wow, but the rest of them, I've not even ever heard of them. Mm -hmm. So there's quite a few, but not yeah. any, not a lot of big names. Yeah. I don't know. So Do that you was guys have a theory. Yeah. Let us know your theory. That was a lot of information. So much information. So much. It's been a long day. I think that's why, like, I feel like there's a lot of information. Yeah. I don't know. But hopefully it was kind of nice to, like, shake things up and not be, like, super dark and gross. Yeah. You know, there's not, like, a ton of... It's not really graphic in any way. No. Um, I don't know. I'm really swayed by the Suge Knight theory. But also, it could be exactly what it appears to be. Completely gang-related. It could be. You, you know, I think both of those scenarios are plausible. Yeah. Um, Suge Knight has established himself as not exactly a stand-up fella, so... Right. Wouldn't be surprised. I know in recent times, well, kind of recent, um, him and Snoop are no longer on good terms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So... S Snoop is... 
he he has grown. He has bloomed into who he is today. Absolutely. Absolutely. I I mean, obviously I'm not a huge rap fan. Like there are some aspects, some songs that I really enjoy, but it's just not my general vibe. Like I mean, it's I listen to rap a lot more than you do. It's not like my general vibe. I also don't dive into rap history. Sure. So... And let's be honest. A lot of people out here listening to rap don't dive into rap history. No. No. But, I mean, Dakota listens to quite a bit of rap. I think some of it he listens to because he thinks it's funny and some he actually likes. Mm-hmm. Um, I just can't get into it. I don't know. I mean, I like listening to Lil Peep, but I think the only reason I like listening to Lil Peep is because I watched the documentary and I feel like I know him. <laughs> so I feel like a little tug at my heartstrings. A little but connection there. Yeah. I don't know. I had like an NWA phase where I listened to NWA. Ariel rapped the entire Straight Outta Compton song to me acapella when we were in high school. So there's that. That's beautiful. Um, my brother is obsessed with Snoop Dogg. He named his dog Snoop. <laughs> perfect uh so yeah that's that's my rap affiliation so very minimal but it's not for any other reason than it's just you know not my vibe yeah i can i understand why it's popular i understand like the yeah. artistry behind it i like rap i don't like all rap you know i i of course like the you know the OG rappers, you know, like Snoop Dogg and shit like that. But of course. There's a lot of new rap that I like. Um, I'm not going to sit here and name them off, but not all rap is good. Just like not all any other genre yeah. is good. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Well, <laughs> this has been a long episode. Yeah, but I think, you know, we didn't release one last week, so this is kind of a, maybe a double feature. Yeah. You get two murders and one up. Yeah. So, double feature. Yeah, so make sure to follow us on all of the shit. And I'll put our merch link in our description, show notes, whatever the fuck you want to call them. But it'll also be on our Instagram. Yeah. So follow uh, it. I, yeah. We'll put it on the TikTok as well. Yeah. And um, I might, I'll probably make a TikTok tour of the site probably oh, do yeah, that tonight yeah i've put quite a bit of stuff on there um i definitely want to put more stuff on there but i'm trying to keep it like kind of minimal for now i feel yeah. like right now there is something for everyone though yeah and i don't think there needs to be hundreds of products i no. mean that's you know Not but at all. i think covering all of the different you know not everybody is going to want to like order a t-shirt but maybe a phone case maybe a mug yeah you know so well um and that's uh that's all for today yeah um last episode of the month of june yeah we'll be we'll have an episode for you guys the day after fourth of july so since we had to take a break last week not really a break we just couldn't fucking record so yeah it, i mean i had been traveling and then you were traveling 
So I, it was just, it was really hard. I was in Pennsylvania and New York and you were in Minnesota. Mm -hmm. P.S. New York was the shit. I loved it. Yeah, we'll have to record another time this week. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I think I could probably be ready to record Thursday. Yeah. So, if that, or... I have a, the boys have a baseball game Thursday night. What about Wednesday? Wednesday would be fine. Okay. Hold on. Is it Wednesday or Thursday they have a game? How are you still doing these? I thought that... Little kids' seasons were, like, two weeks. Listen, I don't even want to talk about it. <laughs> um, oh. Um, Caden has a game Wednesday at 5.30. Jameson has a game Wednesday at 6.45. And then Caden has a game Thursday at 7.30. Well, that's some serious bullshit. I'm going to cry. Well, we might have to record on Zoom. Well, I mean, let let me look at the schedule. I mean, I may, I may be able. I mean, they should be done gaming, but I mean, I know it'd be kind of late. I mean, but they should be done with games by seven thirty on Wednesday. That would give you time to get home and eat dinner and stuff. Yeah, I mean, I don't mind doing a late night. It's fine. Yeah, and then that way you're not rushing something, and then we're not having to do it virtually. Okay. As long as you're fine with it, I'm fine with it. Yeah. I'll just be here nice and sweaty from sitting outside. That's fine. That's how I came today. So I need to take a shower. <laughs> and I need to eat dinner. Okay, so uh, thanks to Laura for our artwork. Mm-hmm. Thanks to Ariel for our music. Yup. Um, please subscribe, share us. Rate us five stars and write us a review. As we've already said, if you hate our show and you want to leave us a negative review, please do so. But tell us what we've done wrong and also rate us five stars while you're doing it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> because then you win because you get to talk some shit. But also we win because even if you don't like our show, you can at least respect the fact that we're out here doing this shit on our own. We're not trying to offend anyone. We're just trying to have a chat and have some fun. Exactly. So, you know... Do us a solid while also, you Doing know, yourself a solid. criticizing someone else heavily. Right. It, it's a win-win. Um, so with that in mind, please be kind. And stay weird. Okay, and goodbye. Bye.